Hello, and welcome back to the Rice Historical Review's Cast from the Past podcast. The Rice Historical Review is Rice University's peer-reviewed undergraduate research journal dedicated to furthering the future by promoting the past. My name is Grace Stewart, and my partner, Annie McKenzie, and I are your podcast co-hosts for this semester. I'm here today with Dr. Elizabeth Petrick. Dr. Petrick is an associate professor here at Rice who studies the history of computer technology, the relationship between technology and users, particularly users with disabilities, and how technology relates to civil rights. Her first book, Making Computers Accessible, Disability Rights and Digital Technology, was the winner of the 2017 Computer History Museum Book Prize. Her current research involves the history of tablet computers and how ideas behind what tablets were good for drove their development within multiple companies and research groups since the 1970s. She also runs a digital humanities project and teaches courses at Rice on the relationships between technology, society, and law, as well as disability history. Last semester, Dr. Petrick taught a course called What is an Abnormal Body, which is part of what we in Rice Humanities call the Big Questions course series. So Dr. Petrick, could you please explain what the Big Questions series is and um, give a little background on its history and how the series came to Rice? Sure, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, so the the series started a few years ago. I was I was hired at Rice and came in fall of 2019, so kind of right before COVID hit. And the series started around that time. I don't remember exactly what semester. And the idea with this, this was an effort by our dean, Dean Canning in Humanities, to show students who weren't necessarily humanities majors some of the ways that the humanities tackles questions that affect people. You know, we tend to think of, like, scientific fields as being really grounded in real life. And part of the interest here was to show that questions that affect our real lives, so issues of discrimination and bias, we can study from the humanities and introduce them, students, to some of our methods in these topics. So, you know, we've had some really <laughs> big questions, like the, the course being taught this semester, which is very popular, it's like 100 students in it, is called Who Should Vote? So again, very uh, questions that have significance in people's real lives. So that's sort of the motivation of the series. And to have then, uh, preferably, a, a lot of non-humanities majors, like this can be their introduction to the humanities. So when I taught the course, I mean, out of, I had around 85 students, and I think there were maybe five or six humanities majors. So it's really, um, we want that kind of diverse class and showing the students what we're all about. Absolutely. Yeah, I took a big questions course a couple semesters ago. What is religion? Which is, once again, a big, a big topic. I know some others. Um, who is a terrorist is another one. What is death, I think? Big, big questions, as the title suggests. And I wanted to ask also, so how, how does the big questions series represent the, the character of Rice Humanities, the goals, I know every university's history department has specific things that they prioritize, different research that they specialize in. And so I, my next question was how the course series is a product of Rice Humanities specifically. Yeah, so and I think it really is this, this motivation to connect the humanities to real life. That, you know, regardless of what humanities department is, if it's history or philosophy or English or art history, the they all deal with issues that affect our actual real life. So something like what is religion from the religion department. I know a course was taught about something, some basic question about what is ethics. So again, these things that we all have to grapple with 
in real life. And I, I feel like the humanities school is showing and maybe giving us tools to do so, you know, that, that these are questions that could worry us. These are questions that, because they affect us, they have significance. They could also be questions that we're really anxious about. And when we can study them using methods from the humanities, it can give us tools to at least approach the questions, at least blow them open and ask them. Even if we don't come up with perfect answers, we're at least confronting these things that affect our lives. Absolutely. Okay, so how did you find yourself teaching what is an abnormal body? And that that question is, is multi-layered. First, how did you find yourself teaching a big question series class at all? And then more specifically, how did you come up with the topic and, and start forming a syllabus? Yeah, so it, this is going to be a little bit of a convoluted answer because it was kind of a strange story how this came about. So for me personally, you know, I've, I, I'm a computer historian who, who's done a lot of research on um, debility and computers. And I'm also a fan of superhero comics. <laughs> and I had... I regularly teach a History 400 level course, a senior research seminar on disability and law. And in the course of teaching that, the last few times I've taught it, I've become aware that there is this growing body of scholarship on the relationship between superheroes and disability. Um, and students had expressed an interest in the scholarship, so it was something I wanted to explore more. And when I heard about the Big Questions course, and every spring they ask us, they ask everyone in the humanities to issue proposals for courses we might want to teach, and then they just they choose a few of them for the next year. When I saw that possibility, at that time we also had a historian of medicine at Rice, and her and I thought we could combine our interests. Um, she regularly was at the time teaching a course on the history of the body. So the idea was to combine our interests together and teach one course. Now, unfortunately, after we wrote a nice proposal, um, she, she sadly left Rice. And so then it was a matter of me figuring out, well, how can I teach a question like what is an abnormal body using just my expertise? And so one thing I did was I brought in technology. And so a lot of the course then became about the relationship between people's bodies and technology in different kinds of technology. We, we talked about, you know, prosthetic devices. We talked about uh, the possibilities for things like brain implants and things like this. Um, we, so we talked about some things that are more theoretical. We also talked about the built environment and the world around us and the way that the technology that we create and interact with every day is designed for certain bodies. So I brought technology into the course, and, and I designed the syllabus. I, I had some help. I had three wonderful TAs. And one really cool thing about the Big Questions course is because it's humanities-wide, um, our grad students are able to apply for what courses they're interested in teaching. And uh, it can be grad students from across the humanities. So I had three grad students, one from religion, one from philosophy, and one from English. And so I, I also had this very diverse perspective from their different fields. And I, I worked with them. I ultimately designed a course that was fairly chronological. I'm a historian, so that's, that's sort of the easiest thing for us to do. Uh, and it would move through different examples centered on disability, but not only about disability, of different ways that bodies have been considered normal or abnormal and how that affects the way that people then live in the world. So I, I told a historical story then ending with kind of present day and issues that we're facing today. Absolutely. 
So could you give some examples of the ways in which bodies are, quote, normal or, quote, abnormal? Yeah, so there was, um, there was a two-part assignment that we came up with in the class that I, I think really illustrated this. The initial idea had come from uh, my initial co-teacher who, who left, and this was an interest in, because we, we were using superheroes, and we were using superheroes to give students a way into thinking about some of, which can be uncomfortable issues. This was about a lot of analysis of our bodies in the ways that we feel different. And I like using fiction as a way in because it can be both at a safe distance because it's, it's fake, but it also is a way to see ourselves, you know, that we can look for characters that are like ourselves or have qualities like us. So it can be a nice way in. And so we had an idea of why not have a creative assignment that plays with some of those ideas of superheroes. So what I ended up coming up with with my TAs was a two-part assignment. Uh, in the first part, every student individually went somewhere on campus or near campus and thought about how their body fit into the built environment. So it could be a classroom. It could be the way that the chairs and desks are set up. It could be a sidewalk. It could be all different kinds. Dorm rooms were a popular choice. So all different kinds of examples from the built environment. And then I asked the students to think about their body in that space. And was the space designed for them? Was there an assumption there that they were the normal intended user of that space? Or did they not fit? Was, was whoever was being pictured when that space was designed, was it someone different from them? And then I also asked them to think about, well, what if their bodies changed slightly? And I was inspired by this because last spring, I, in one class, I had like two students who broke their arms. And so it's, you know, it's fairly common for us to undergo small changes to our body. And if we tie this to disability, anybody at any point could become temporarily or permanently disabled. It, it, it's something that can happen to anyone. You know, it's, it's one aspect of our identity that's in, inherently changeable. And so I asked the students to think about, and a lot of them had had experiences like that, things, you know, in high school, uh, student athletes who had hurt themselves. So if their body was slightly different, how would they then fit into this space? And they realized it, it, a lot of ways that they didn't fit. I had a lot of student athletes in this class. In particular, I had a lot of football players who tend to be bigger than average guys. <laughs> and they wrote some really fantastic papers on how uncomfortable certain lecture halls were and how there were so few chairs that they actually could find that were comfortable for their bodies simply because they were larger people than average. And so they, they were able to find that connection, but they were also able to do things like imagine if they had a friend on campus who was a wheelchair user and the sheer number of students who wrote about dorm rooms that were completely inaccessible to wheelchair users was just sort of shocking. They realized if I had a friend like that, my friend wouldn't be able to visit me in my dorm room. And that's really a shame. So, uh, so that was the first part of the assignment where the students kind of realized the ways that they weren't an imagined normal or could become abnormal from what was imagined. And then in the second part, we asked them in groups to share their experiences with each other and come up with a creative solution. So this could be drawing a comic book or a lot of students made like short films showing how would they fix the world if they could, if they had the power to pick a spot on Rice campus and fix it and make it fit people better so that there was a bigger assumption of who counted as normal. 
how would they do that? Uh, and they really, again, they really just came up with some delightful examples. Some students wrote poems, uh, wonderful films, um, some really interesting kind of visual diagrams of spaces that were changing those spaces and making them better. Absolutely. It sounds like a really great way for students to think about the ways in which their own bodies exist in spaces in comparison to other people. So for example, um, I have a brother. My brother is six feet and 11 inches tall. Big guy. And so he's always constantly thinking of the way that he fits in airplane seats or the way that he doesn't fit under doorways in a way in which I, as a five foot nine, five foot ten woman, don't have to. And so I think a lot of students would benefit from that that process because it it makes them who maybe have not had cause to think about the ways in which they fit in a space um, to do so. That's really amazing. So my next question is has to do with how the course correlates to your research specifically. And um, we kind of touched on that already. But I know that you do a lot of work with technology and disability rights and also with the law. And so I just as a, a general question in in asking students how they would change a space at Rice or change the world to be more accessible to more types of bodies. Does that translate to um, legal reform and and how does that work and how has your research about disabilities and the law and technology um, informed the ways in which you explain that to students? Yeah, so yeah, this is the one thing that I did with the course then um, when I kind of had to make it all about my stuff was, was to also bring in civil rights and, and to talk about what civil rights laws have made possible, especially things like the Americans with Disabilities Act, but also their limitations. And the way that I came into this in realizing that civil rights law really mattered for technology is I, I initially was interested in computer users. Like that was my primary interest when I was a grad student. Um, I was interested in how do normal, ordinary people use computers for whatever that means, whoever's normal here. And I, but it's really hard to do that research historically. We don't tend to save archives of the experiences of ordinary people. And so I thought, well, maybe there's a possibility of finding materials by looking at activist groups. So people uh, who were trying to get technology into the hands of certain groups. And I did grad school in California, and sure enough, at Berkeley, they had a whole bunch, they have a ton of disability archives. It's one of the richest places in the country for that. And in particular, they had the archives of a disability and technology advocacy group that was at the time called the Disabled Children's Computer Group. Yeah, that's the acronym, DCCG. And this was a group making a civil rights argument that this is at the start of the personal computer revolution. This is before the ADA. And it was a realization from parents, initially parents of children with disabilities, but over time, uh, people with disabilities themselves then, making an argument that everyone needs access to this technology, that computers were going to change the world, and it could benefit everybody. I mean, it, it, this really is kind of a very uh, utopian view of, of technology, but that everyone deserves access, and that that is an issue of rights. And these were people involved with things like civil rights protests in the San Francisco Bay Area over disability. And so, when you get toward the ADA then, it, it doesn't deal with computer technology, 
but it does deal with the built environment. And an entire part of the law is about changing the built environment to make it accessible. This idea that people have a right to social participation and that we've designed the world so it doesn't fit everyone. And so now we need to actually work on that. We need to change the world so that people can fit. It's not a perfect law. It's, it's hard to enforce. It has led to a lot of lawsuits. But the intent is that we want as many people as possible to be normal users of a technology, to be able to access that space, to be a part of society. And so that's how I brought the law and civil rights law in, is this idea that technology can be in a way, particularly for people with disabilities, to enact civil rights. Because for other groups, for other minority populations, when you pass an anti-discrimination law, it's... you basically just have to outlaw discrimination. But since we've built the world to be unaccessible, if you want to do anti-discrimination for people with disabilities, you actually have to change the world physically. So there's a relationship between technology and civil rights. And then as a part, as my research has kind of gone on since then, I've been really interested in making this argument that people with disabilities are normal computer users. They might need Depending on someone's disability, they might need slightly different technology to use their computer. But that, honestly, that's true for everybody. We all have our particular way of interacting with a computer. I have to have a blue light filter on my computer or I get a headache. Like, we, we all do different things to the computer interface to make it work with our bodies. So there's no, there's no reason to treat certain people as abnormal here. Like everyone who wants to use a computer should be able to be a computer user. And people with disabilities have been computer users all along. So part of my argument is trying to expand this idea of what is normal so that it includes more people. And I would say that is an equity argument, that more people should be included then. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. Thank you. Okay, so my next question is, what was your favorite reading topic and or project in the course? And I think I'd like to ask that question a slightly different way as sort of a hypothetical. If there was someone who is listening to this podcast who's thinking, oh my goodness, I've never thought about the relationship between um, disability rights and technology and the law. Um, I want to read more about it. What reading would you give them? What uh, or um, what archive would you point them to? I know you mentioned Berkeley, and I know as someone who has researched this extensively, it's going to be hard to choose one. Um, but I think what's what's a good author or archive or resource as resource as a um, as a jumping off point for people who don't have the who who are beginning to to have um, questions and thoughts about this these topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, the one I would recommend isn't one that we used in the class. But it's one I use in my my disability and law course. And it's a very accessible book uh, by an author named Joe Shapiro, and it's called No Pity. And um, it's it's sort of a basic history of disability rights written as a popular text. I I highly recommend that one. I, I even use it in that class simply because he does such a good job. He One thing in particular he was really good at is going and interviewing people. And so it includes, um, there's a lot of interest in it in institutionalization, so people who end up getting locked away in institutions still today. And so he did a lot of interviewing people, you know, in some cases like young people who are stuck in nursing homes because there's nowhere else to care for them. And uh, he did a lot of interviewing people like that and trying to get their perspective. And... It, it in one way showing the limitations then of civil rights law. 
we've only gone so far with it. So yeah, that No Pity is the book that I would recommend to people. For the the class itself, I think that that assignment I already mentioned was the thing that really struck me about it because it was you know, the the point of this class was to grapple with the diversity of bodies. And in like the first day of class, I asked the students basically to raise their hands if they felt like they had a normal body or an abnormal body. And the vast majority of students said in some way their body was abnormal. But if everybody is abnormal, (laughs) then abnormality is normal. So uh, the goal for the course was to get us to acknowledge the diversity of human bodies. And I think disability, centering disability is a good way to do that because disabled bodies are so diverse inherently. There's so many different kinds of disabilities. And some of them are visible, some are invisible. You know, we, we also tackled things like mental illness in the course as well as, well as uh, neurodivergence and things like that. And so I, I liked the Built Environment Project because there's all different ways that people's bodies intersect with the environment that aren't immediately obvious. There are, of course, very obvious ones. You know, I mentioned like students being able to fit comfortably in a seat or a wheelchair user being able to access a dorm room. But there's other ways, too, that the students came up with. Things like we're in Fondren Library right now, and um, a couple of students wrote about how hard it is to work in Fondren because they found it an inherently depressing space. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you have spaces like that, that it's, it's not necessarily about physical access, but it is about the physical built environment. But the physical built environment also affects us mentally. It affects how we concentrate. You know, I, I was having a conversation with colleagues uh, yesterday about the fact that I can't work in a library. I have to do my work in like a coffee shop or another loud environment because I can't concentrate if it's too quiet. So we all have these relationships with the built environment because all our bodies are different. And I, I liked that assignment, particularly having such a big class. It, it can be challenging to teach a big class, but the one advantage to having 85 students is you get 85 very different perspectives. And the students really did an amazing job of thinking through very, very different ways that their bodies interact with spaces. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. All right. My concluding question is, um, how do you think Rice Humanities will continue to explore issues regarding disabilities and conceptions of abnormal slash normal bodies? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, it's definitely something that we could use more courses. Uh, Students have told me that they want more courses on disability history. Uh, So I... I would love it if, uh, if, uh, if we would have more courses. I am hoping, you know, with this course, we don't, so far, you know, the, the Big Question series has only existed for a few years, so we're only just at the point that people are starting to repeat them. So, I don't know, in a few years, I, it, it might be a good time to maybe offer this one again. But I was also thinking about, you know, I mentioned that there's an advantage to having a big course, but one of the disadvantages is that, It's trying to get a whole lot of students interacting at once is difficult. And this course might translate well to a smaller class as well. And I was thinking it could be interesting to turn it into one of our 400-level research seminars, that there we would have a much more intimate environment and an opportunity for students to do their own research on the topic. So I was thinking something like, um, you know, probably using a similar title, it could be an interesting thing to try. 
And if that doesn't work, I, I still uh, will regularly teach my disability and law course as well. So I'm hoping we can get more disability courses from um, other faculty, but also just more people thinking about the role of bodies. I A lot of my own research today is going in the question of how do we think about our relationship with computers as an embodied experience, that it, we tend to th talk in terms of technology, you know, being virtual and that in some way it's disconnected from the body, but our bodies are always there um, and our, our bodies don't go away when we interact with technology. So I, I think there's a lot of ways that we can acknowledge how human experiences are embodied. Um, so I would encourage other faculty to ask similar questions and uh, hopefully develop courses that also confront questions of the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been Dr. Elizabeth Petrick with the Rice Historical Review. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much.